The following is a production of Phoenix Media. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look! Up in the sky! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, face a speeding bullet to its target, then steal in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. According to the terms of the Richard's will, Metropolis University will receive $3 million provided it can raise $500,000 through its own efforts. There is only one possible way to raise the money, by having the football team win every game and play at the Rose Bowl. However, when the team collapsed in its game with State College, Clark Kent suspected dirty work. As Superman, he discovered who would benefit under the terms of the will if the university did not get the $3 million. With this information at hand, he and Jimmy Olsen went to the university to talk the matter over with Spike Taylor, the coach. While they were talking, Jimmy wandered into the training table kitchen, where he saw the cook dropping a strange liquid into the milk. He reported this to Kent at once. Hurrying into the kitchen, Kent and Taylor found the cook gone. After sending Jimmy home, they retired to Taylor's office, where we find him now. Listen. There's only one thing to do, coach. Find that cook. What's his name again? Dora. Sam Dorn. Yeah, I can't picture him attempting to poison the boys on the team. He just isn't the type. Well, what's the type got to do with it? Chances are he's using a few names. Didn't you tell me the last job he had was cooking on board a ship? Yes. Well, I told you what I learned from Quincy, the lawyer who handled Richard's will. One of the beneficiaries who will inherit a cool million dollars if the university doesn't get the money is George Kane, the nephew. According to Quincy, the last heard from Kane, he was working on an oil tanker. Kent, you don't think Sam Dorff is George King? Wouldn't be one bit surprised. Oh, but look, we're wasting time. We can't afford to let Dorff get too far away. I called the university employment office to get what information they have about him. The girl said she called back. Uh-huh. Well, that must be the office now. Hello? Oh, yeah? Hey, hold on a minute. Hey, hand me that pencil, Kent. Sure. Here. Thanks. All right, go ahead. 45, Darrell Lane, Sharon Heights. Widower, one child. What was that? Oh, I see. Well, thanks very much. Well, here it is. The address he gave was 45 Darrell Lane, Sharon Heights. That's about 50 miles from Metropolis on the B&R Railroad. Yeah, that boy in the kitchen said Dorf mentioned he had to catch a train. Oh, yes, he did. I'll call the B&R and check. Good idea. 
Uh, operator, can you get me the train information bureau of the DNR Railroad? I have no directory. Thank you. I'll hold on. No, Coach, it seems a little strange that he lives in Sharon Heights. Fifty miles train ride twice a day. To... Uh, hello? Uh, train information? Uh, can you give me your evening schedule to Sharon Heights from Metropolis? That's right. Yes. 520, 710, 1130. Is that all? No other connections, eh? All right, thank you. Well, he could have made the 710 if he rushed. Well, it's 730 now. That means the train's left. Well, if we get to Sharon Heights, we can call and have the police there pick him up. No, I don't think that's the way to handle it. I'll go after him and bring him back. What are you going to do? Fly? Why, yes. Well, don't be foolish. There's no plane service to that bird. Well, I didn't intend taking a plane. Now, wait a minute. Take it easy. In one breath, you say you're going to fly, and the next breath, you say you didn't intend taking a plane. Yeah, I, uh, I was just a little confused. What I meant was I, I have a friend with a private plane. He'll take me. Well, what if Sharon Heights has no landing field? Oh, this friend of mine can land on a dime. Don't you worry. Okay, it's your funeral, not mine. Yeah, where's, where's that uh, medicine bottle we found in the kitchen? Oh, right here. I'll take it up and have it melt from the store and analyze it. Good. And I'll call you if I run into trouble. If not, I'll have Dorf back here by 10 o'clock. Good luck. Thanks. Oh, and by the way, I wouldn't mention this to anyone but Professor Nelson and Dr. Stone. I won't. Okay, so long. Leaving the University Athletic Building, Clark can cut across the campus. Once the darkness has hemmed him in, he stops short, rips off his outer clothing, and leaps high into the air as Superman. Like some giant hare, he wheels in furious flight above the Metropolis Railroad Station, and then follows two gleaming steel rails into the darkness. Soon, his sharp ears pick up the distant wail of a locomotive whistle, and his amazing eyes spot puffs of gray smoke below him. Swooping down, he lands gently on the roof of a swaying coach, drops to the iron platform between the cars, and in a moment has covered the brilliant costume of Superman with a disguising business suit Clark Kent reporter. Opening the door, he enters the car like any other passenger. Tickets, please. All tickets. Uh-oh, what am I going to do about a ticket? Oh, I know. I can pay the conductor in cash. Tickets, please. All tickets. I don't see anyone fitting Taylor's description of doors in this car. Thank the guards in the smoker. That's the next car back. Uh, ticket, please. Oh, I'm sorry, conductor. I didn't have time to buy a ticket. I'm going to Sharon Heights. What's the fare? Uh, right. yes. uh, one ten. Okay. There you are, one ten. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Let's try this next car, the smoking car. Now let's see. If he's here, he shouldn't be hard to find. Short, plump, bald headed. Yes, there's a man who answers the description perfectly. He's sitting alone. I'll join him. Uh, pardon me, is this seat occupied? No. Thank you. The train goes to Sharon Heights, doesn't it? Yes, next stop. Oh, really? Oh, must be an express. Yes, only two stops from Metropolis. Oh, fine. Uh, do you live in Sharon Heights? Yes. I've never been there. Is it a small town? Not so small. There is very fine hospital in Sharon Heights. Oh? Children's hospital. Oh, interesting, very interesting. Oh, yes, fine hospital. You know, I think I've seen you someplace before. Your name is Kane, isn't it? George Kane? No, you have made a mistake. My name is Thorpe. Samuel Thorpe. 
Uh, funny, I was sure you were George Kane. No, always I have been Samuel Dorff. Uh, I'm still sure I've seen you someplace. Where could it have been? Well, I don't know, mister. I don't go many places. Hmm. Do you work in Metropolis? Yes, at the university. Metropolis University? Yes. I cook for football team training table. Oh, that's where I've seen you. I'm a close friend of Spike Taylor, the coach. Oh, yes, Mr. Taylor, fine fellow. Uh, you know Professor Nelson in laboratory and Dr. Stone? Oh, yes. Oh, both fine fellow. Professor Nelson and Dr. Stone. Yeah. Well, I, I got to get off here. I'm getting off, too. Well, it wasn't a very long ride. No, only one hour. Uh, this is fast train. Some trains take hour and 40 minutes. Uh-huh. Well, here we are. Watch your step now. Right. So this is Sharon Heights, huh? Everything seems closed up. Yes, all except hospital. Well, good night, mister. Uh, which way are you going? I, I walk up the hill. Oh, well, I'm going that way, too. I'll keep you company. Fine. I don't see a soul around here. No, everybody goes to bed early in Sharon Heights. You come out here every night? Oh, no. Just once a week. It costs too much to ride the train every night and in the morning, too. Yes, I should think so. But you won't have to worry about that anymore, Dorf. Well, what do you mean? Hey, hey, why do you hold my arm? This is as far as we go. No, I go to Top of Hill. No, I'm afraid not. You're coming back to Metropolis with me. You talk crazy, mister. Drop the innocent act, Dorf. It doesn't work any longer. Let go of my arm, please. You heard what I said, didn't you? We're going back to Metropolis. Let go, I said, mister. You make me mad. That won't help you a bit. Are you coming along quietly, or do I have to... Oh, you want to fight? I fight. Oh, so that's how it is, huh? You brought this on yourself, Dorf. Don't forget. I didn't want to have to do that, but it serves the purpose. Now I can get him back to Metropolis the fast way, as Superman. There we are. Uh, he's no lightweight, but I think I can make it. Up! Up! And away! How is he, Professor Nelson? He'll be all right, Mr. Taylor. It's a bad contusion on the jaw, but the ice bag will ease it. How's all right, Dr. Stone? Yes. Normal. Can't you made a horrible mistake? This man Dorf is as innocent of wrongdoing as you or I. No, but everything pointed to him. Jimmy saw him pouring that liquid into the milk pitcher. But I've told you, Mr. Kent, that was vitamin B1 compound. Dorf had orders to put it in the milk. Well, there was no way of knowing that. And then his sudden departure. I couldn't have told you where he was going. To the children's hospital at Sharon Heights. It's the ironic part of all this, Kent. What do you mean, Professor Nelson? Dorf has a son of 15 or thereabouts. The boy is in the Sharon Heights Hospital, suffering from infantile paralysis. What? You don't mean that. Yes, unfortunately. I helped him get the boy admitted. And to have this happen on the one night of the week he visits his son. Oh, I can't tell you how sorry I am. I know you are, Kent. You meant well. But bungled stupidly. If you had only stopped to ask... And again, I say I'm sorry. I'll make it up to him somehow. Perhaps I'm wrong about the whole business. Maybe it is a wild goose chase. I'll take it, Professor. If you will, Taylor. Hello? Who? Oh, just a minute. For you, Kent. No, thank you. Hello? Yes, Mr. White? What? Read it to me, will you? Yes? Yes? Yes, I got it. 
Okay, I'll be at the office in ten minutes. Ah, I take back what I said, gentlemen, about my being wrong. What do you mean, Mr. Kent? Gentlemen, I have just received a message that convinces me we are dealing with a dangerous criminal. Whom did Perry White name to Kent over the phone? Is it another false clue like the Dorf incident, or will it, as Kent says, lead to something interesting? You'll find out in the next episode, so don't forget to tune in and listen with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Oh, my Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot, on surprises, and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude, cowabunga, to the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Browsers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media dot U-S forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. Convinced that someone is attempting to cause the collapse of the Metropolis University football team to prevent it from winning its final game with Southwest, Clark Kent has investigated every possible angle. As Superman, he followed the training table cook, Sam Doff, after young Jimmy Olsen had seen Doff put some medicine in the milk pitchers intended for the members of the team. But the portly cook turned out to be a false lead. Disappointed, Kent was about to give up when he received a call from editor Perry White reporting a new development. As our story continues today, Kent is back at the Daily Planet in Editor White's office. Listen. Here's the note I told you about over the phone, Kent. Read it. Okay, Mr. White. Mark Kent, you will meet me at the Cedarcrest Sanatorium at midnight tonight. I will give you some interesting information. Signed, Dr. Wilson. What's the Cedarcrest Sanatorium? Hmm. One of the beneficiaries under the terms of Mr. Richard's will. Where'd you get that information? I got it tonight from John Quincy, the lawyer who drew the will. I thought you told me he refused to cooperate. Oh, well, I, uh, I talked him into it. Oh, you talked him into it? Uh-huh. I don't suppose you've seen a copy of the late edition of The Planet, have you? 
Remember? It's the newspaper for which you're supposed to be working. If that's meant to be sarcastic. Well, whatever gave you that idea? Now, here. Take a look at the front page, left-hand column. Costumed burglar defies gravity. Red-caped second-story man leaps out window as police guns blaze. What is this? Go ahead, go ahead, read further. A man with wings visited Metropolis today, broke into the 14th floor offices of John Quincy, senior partner of the law firm of Quincy Gardner & Scott, forced Mr. Quincy to open his wall safe, and then amid a hail of police bullets, calmly leaped out of the open window and vanished from the set. Oh, 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 that sounds like a fairy story. Yes, doesn't it? But it isn't, Kent. There were three eyewitnesses, Quincy and two cops. Now, look, Mr. White, in the first place, anyone who jumped out a 14th floor window would have to be picked up off the ground with a vacuum cleaner. And that's what uh, has the police running around in circles, tearing their hair. That's what nobody can understand. In the second place, why would anyone break into an office dressed in a red cape and blue tights? Who said anything about blue tights? Uh, Why, I I saw it mentioned in the story. Oh. Well, maybe that kid is right. What kid? Jimmy Olsen. He says it was Superman. (laughs) Jimmy would. Well, it really doesn't matter now. This message is far more important. I'm going to keep that midnight appointment. And I'm going with you. Well, that's not at all necessary, Mr. White. You don't like to stay out late. Don't you worry about what I like or don't like. I said I'm going with you. Okay, okay, you're the boss. I wish you'd remember that more often. Hmm. Now, come on, it's 10.30. It'll take us an hour to get there. I'm ready. Uh, We'll uh, take my car. after you brought Dorf, the cook, back to the university. Oh, everything went to pieces. Dr. Stone said the medicine Dorf was putting in the milk was vitamin B1 compound. The men on the team get a dose of it every day. Then Professor Nelson made matters worse by telling me that Dorf's son was in the children's hospital at Sharon Heights suffering from infantile paralysis. That's why he had to catch a train to visit the boy. Well, I must say you managed to mess things up beautifully. And yet, uh, you still think someone's trying to ruin the team? Yes, I, I I can't believe the collapse of every man on the squad last week was accidental or a coincidence. Things don't happen that way. After all, any one of the three beneficiaries might be very interested in keeping the university from getting the $3 million legacy. Well, who are the other two besides the sanatorium? Clark, a half-brother of Richard's, and George Kane, a nephew. Clark lives out west and is independently rich. Kane, according to last reports, was working on an oil tanker. I see. And you think someone's trying to put the football team out of the commission to get hold of the money? But it looks like. Oh, slow up a minute. There's a sign up ahead. Cedar Crest Sanatorium, one quarter mile. Turn left here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the bird's name up here? Wilson. Dr. Wilson. He probably runs the place. Oh, that must be it. The big stone building on the hill there. Mm, I'd have to be pretty sick to come up to this deserted neck of the woods. <laughs> now, there's the driveway between those cedar trees. Yeah, I see it is. Well, here we are. What time is it? Uh, quarter to twelve. Mm, Fifteen minutes early. I don't suppose it makes any difference. No, let's go in. <laughs> Looks like a morgue more than a sanatorium. <laughs> Doesn't seem to be any bell. Oh, a knock. All right. How come Richard's named this place in his will? I don't know. Maybe he spent some time here. Maybe they pulled him through an illness. Oh, somebody's coming. Yeah? Who is it? Uh, Mr. Kent, I have an appointment with Dr. Wilson. Just a moment. Come in, please. Oh, there's another gentleman with you. Yes, Mr. White, the editor of my newspaper. Oh, yeah. Come in. Thank you. Step this way, please. 
Dr. Wilson is busy at the moment, but if you will be seated here in the waiting room, I will tell him you have arrived. Mr. Kent, what is the other gentleman's name? Harry White. Thank you. Tell Dr. Wilson. All she needs is a broomstick to make her the best Halloween witch I've ever seen. What a face. She can't help her face, Mr. White. I suppose not. And I'd hate to bump into her on a dark night. Scare the living daylights out of me. Notice her eyes? Look like little black shoe buttons. Mm. I imagine she's the matron or manager. Here she comes. Dr. Wilson will see you in his private office. Oh. Follow me, please. What? Through this hallway. This is Dr. Wilson's office. Step inside, please. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. She's brought us in. All right. This isn't an office at all. It's a bare room with two chairs. There aren't even any windows. Hey, open up. Open up, I said. Don't excite yourselves, gentlemen. Where's that voice coming from? That grill in the ceiling. There's a loudspeaker behind it. And a microphone as well, Mr. Kent. I can hear everything you say. But unfortunately, I will not be able to speak with you again until next Saturday. Saturday? What's he talking about? Both you and Mr. Kent are to be my guests until next Saturday, Mr. White. Voice, that voice, I've heard it before. Whoever you are, you're crazy. Oh, no. Just cautious. But have no fear. No harm will come to you. The room you are in is an oxygen chamber used to treat severe cases of asthma. It is soundproof and airproof. Your meals will be served you through the conveyor at the base of the wall on your right. You will be released late Saturday night. What sort of nonsense is this? It isn't nonsense, Mr. White. He plans to keep us here until after the game on Saturday, the game he wants Metropolis to lose. Precisely, Mr. Kent. You owe this temporary inconvenience to your own inquisitive nature. I warned you not to interfere, but you failed to take heed. Who are you? What's your name? You may call me Dr. Wilson. I'll call you a lot of other things before I'm through. Go right ahead. Now look here, Just you... a minute, Mr. White. Let me talk to you. In the first place, your name isn't Dr. Wilson. In the second place, what do you hope to gain by keeping us here? You know exactly what I hope to gain, Mr. Kent. One million dollars. So, you admit you're the man behind the collapse of the Metropolis team. Why not? It's too late to do anything about it. Too late for you. There won't be 11 fighting men out on that field Saturday afternoon. There'll be 11 days groggy excuses for football players. Why, you dirty snake in the grass. That won't help you now, Mr. White. I'll break this door down. Don't waste your time. It's solid steel. Oh, if I could only get my hands on you. Yes. <laughs> if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I must leave you. If you wish anything, press the button to the left of the door. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> wait, wait, come back. He's gone. Hmm? Now what do we do? You got me into this. Just take it easy, Mr. White. What day is this? Tuesday. 
No, no, wait. It's after midnight. It's Wednesday. And do you mean to say we're going to be hooked up in this dungeon till Saturday? Four days? Not on your life. Wait, give me a chance to think. Voice. I know it, but I can't place it. Oh, what's the difference? We've got to get out of here. Yeah, I'll press that button. I'll press it until the cows come home. Yeah, it rings the bell. Yes. What do you want? Open the door. Don't be a fool. Okay, then I'll keep ringing. Stop that. Take your finger off that button. Not on your life. Then we will have to put you both to sleep for a while. What's that? Some sort of gas pouring into the room. <laughs> Talk to me. Stop it. Stop it. Remember, don't press that bell button. I'm sorry, but we will. Can't stop. Don't. No, no. You see what you've done? Ken! The gas! It's pouring in! Ken in the heaven and stop! Stop! Why is Claude Kent keeping his finger on the bell button and allowing the gas to fill the chamber? He must have some reason. But the question is, will he be too late? Has the owner of the familiar voice already left the sanatorium? And by the way, whose voice is it? Do you know? Well, don't forget to tune in next time to make sure. It looks like Clark Kent is about to solve the mystery, but there are still some exciting moments ahead. So listen in with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman, strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, place a speeding bullet to its target, then steal in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth. And justice. And now to our story. As you remember, Clark Kent and editor Perry White were lured to the Cedar Crest Sanatorium and imprisoned in a soundproof oxygen chamber. A man's voice, strangely familiar to Kent, assured them no harm would come to them, but that they would have to remain in the chamber until late Saturday night. Enraged, Perry White kept his finger glued to a push button that rang a bell somewhere in the huge stone house. Warned to stop under threat of being gassed by the hatchet-faced woman who had admitted them to the sanatorium, White refused. Immediately, a sleep-producing gas began pouring into the chamber. White took his finger off the push button and the gas stopped. Clark Kent, realizing that if Perry White were unconscious, he could force the steel door as Superman, deliberately continued to press the bell button, despite White's choking demands that he stop. As we join them now, gas is still pouring into the chamber. Ken continues to ring the bell, and Perry White has dropped to his knees, fighting for breath. Listen. Yes, yes, stop it. Take your finger off that button. 
win something, eh? No. <laughs> I can't bulldoze us. Oh, that you are. What you gain? The gas will put you to sleep. Then you will awake with your head aching. Mr. Bates, I demand that you. I, I demand that you. <laughs> your friend has succumbed. Now do you see what will happen to you if you continue to ring that bell? You, you can't frighten me. You can't. You're weakening, aren't you? You can't breathe. Your legs are becoming like water. Oh. Just a few seconds more. I told you, you can. You can. Oh. Perhaps next time you will know better. Sleep, my friend. Sleep. Sorry, lady, but I'm not the least bit sleepy. I'll just give you a chance to get out of earshot, and then we'll see who should know better next time. Mm, poor Mr. White. He did his Dean gasp for breath and then collapsed, but it was the only way. Well, that's it's safe now. It's enough for Clark Kent to become Superman. This door shouldn't be too hard to open, even if it is solid steel. The noise will probably bring that witch woman running, but it'll be too late then. Here goes. <laughs> Pretty tough. Well, a little more effort and it should buckle. There. That does it. Now, let's see whether old Hatchet Face heard that crash. I'll just step back in the shadows here and handle her as Clark Kent. Here she comes. Oh. Surprise? Oh, where are you? Right here, madam. Oh, oh no, not so fast. I want to talk things over with you. Let go of me. Let go of me. Not until you answer a few questions. I don't know anything. Let me go. You were pretty cocky just a few minutes ago when you shot that sleeping gas into the chamber. How did you get out? Never mind that now. I'm out. And if you value your neck, you'll talk and talk fast. Who was the man you spoke to us through that loudspeaker? Dr. Wilson. You know you're lying. There's no Dr. Wilson here. Who was it? I told you. Dr. Wilson. Who owns this sanatorium? Dr. Wilson. Ah, you've been well trained. All right. Where is Dr. Wilson? He's gone. Where did he go? I don't know. Now, look, lady, this is serious business. A matter of life or death for many people. Where can I find Dr. Wilson or whatever his name is? I told you I don't know. What more do you want? I want the truth. That's what we've got. All right, we'll have to use other methods. Perhaps the police can get you to talk. Uh, I haven't done anything. No, nothing except locking two people in an oxygen chamber and attempting to put them to sleep with gas, that's all. He told me to do it. Who told you? Dr. Dr. Wilson. You almost forgot yourself that time, didn't you? Oh, Mr. White's regaining consciousness. Now you're in for it. He runs the most powerful newspaper in the country. He'll see to it that you go to jail. No. No, he can't. I'm just being paid. By whom? I told you. Dr. Wilson. Kent, where are you? Right here, Mr. White. All right, step inside, lady, and don't try to get away. Kent, what happened? That gas. It's all over now, Mr. White. All over? Oh, my head. Here, I'll help you get up. There we are. Kent, that woman, she's the one who locked us in here. I know. She turned the gas on. Yes. I was only following orders. Whose orders? No sense asking her that, Mr. White. She has a stock answer. Dr. Wilson. Yes. 
that's true. Kent, I don't understand this. Who opened that steel door? I did. But how? Uh, evidently, it wasn't locked properly. But don't worry about that. We have more important things to think about. This mysterious Dr. Wilson admitted he was the man behind the attempt to ruin the Metropolis football team. He must be located. She says he left. You can search all over. He is not here. Well, where did he go? Uh, she says she doesn't know. I don't. Well, maybe someone else around here does. There isn't anybody else. I'm here all alone. You mean the sanatorium isn't in operation? There have been no patients here for three years. Then what's that? Someone's knocking at the front door. Martha! Martha, open up! Oh, that's our friend, Dr. Wilson. Evidently, he returned for something. No, it is not. You are wrong. Martha! Martha! Oh, we'll see how wrong I am. Come on, let's let him in. I am not supposed to admit strangers. This isn't a stranger. Listen to him. Martha, where are you? Hey, he's calling you by your first name. All right, come on, or do I have to drag you? Martha! Martha, open this door! Go ahead, open it. I told you I am not supposed Stop to. Stop stalling. Open the door. All right. You told me. Come on, Mr. White. He hit that tree going 60. He's done for. Yeah, looks like it. No, wait a minute. He's still breathing. Here, I'll get this buckle door open and you drag him out. Okay. Better work fast. 
All right. Hey, it's clear. Yeah. I've got it. Can't stop me now. Can't stop me now. Scott! Do you know who it is? No. Who? Dr. Stone. Professor Nelson's assistant at the medical laboratory. Too late. No antidote in this country. <laughs> Way down Central America. Too late. Dr. Stone, what are you talking about? Antidote for what? Yeah, football team. Can't win Saturday without antidote. Too late to get it. Way down Central America. Savage tribe. Too late. It's all over. What was he babbling about? He wasn't babbling. He was telling us that the men on the Metropolis football team have already received a dose of the weakening potion that will make them dazed and helpless next Saturday. What was this about Central America? I think he meant the only antidote could be found in Central America. And that we were too late to get it. And unfortunately, I'm afraid he's right. With Dr. Stone's lips sealed forever, what can Clark Kent do to save the football team? According to Stone, the men on the squad have already received a dose of the numbing potion. And the only antidote can be found in Central America. But where in Central America? And what is the antidote? Even Superman, with all his ability, is helpless without that information. Can he get it in 48 hours? Listen in and follow the thrilling race against time with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, trace a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. Following a wild automobile chase, Clark Kent and Perry White, accompanied by the woman in charge of the Cedar Crest Sanatorium, drew up alongside the car being driven by the mysterious Dr. Wilson, owner of the sanatorium. On a sharp curve, the Wilson car, out of control, left the road and crashed into a tree. Pulling the delirious driver from the wreckage, Kent discovered him to be Dr. Elihu Stone, assistant to Professor Nelson, dean of the Metropolis University Medical School. Injured beyond help, Dr. Stone babbled incoherently before the end came. As our story continues today, a meeting is taking place in Professor Nelson's office at the university. Present are Nelson, Kent, Lois Lane, and the woman in Dr. Stone's employ who has identified herself as Martha Hawkins. Police Commissioner Reynolds has just entered the room and been introduced. Listen. All right, Kent. What's this all about? You dragged me out of bed at this hour of the morning to listen to another Daily Planet publicity stunt. I feel sorry for you. This isn't a publicity stunt, Commissioner. Not by a long shot. Then let's have it. I think you'd better tell the commissioner about the legacy, Professor Nelson. As you wish, Mr. Kent. 
About a year ago, Commissioner Reynolds, one of our old graduates passed away, leaving the medical school of the university $3 million. However, the legacy depended on our ability to raise $500,000 through our own efforts. I see. We managed to collect 300000 and we were depending on the success of our football team to earn the balance by winning every game and thereby securing an invitation to play at the... Uh, uh, the Rose Bowl. Uh, yes, uh, the Rose Bowl. However, uh, during last Saturday's football game, I understand the members of the Metropolis team suffered a strange lassitude. They were in a state of semi-paralysis. In fact, one of them, the captain, collapsed. How come? Well, that's what puzzled me, Commissioner. I attended the game and watched the men on the team go to pieces. It almost looked as though they'd been drugged. Drugged? Yes, Commissioner. I, I was at the game with Carl Kent. Time, I thought nothing of it. But, well, in the light of development... What developments, Miss Lane? I'll tell you. After the team went to pieces and almost lost the game, Bob Harris, the boy who collapsed, was examined and nothing was found. He recovered quickly, and Professor Nelson and Spike Taylor, the coach, decided there was nothing to it. But that didn't satisfy you, did it, Kent? I should say not. I didn't think so. Go ahead. Well, to make a long story short, I did some private investigating and discovered that if the university didn't get the three million dollars, others would. One of the others was the Cedarcrest Sanatorium, owned by Dr. Elihu Stone, who died in an automobile accident on the county road less than an hour ago. Miss Hawkins here was employed by Dr. Stone. I never knew him by that name. He called himself Dr. Wilson. Well, that's unimportant now. How does Stone fit into the football team picture, Kent? In this way, Commissioner. It was Stone who saw to it that the men on the team received a daily dose of some strange stupefying potion that was supposed to be vitamin B1 compound. It was Stone who examined Bob Harris and pronounced him perfectly well. And finally, it was Stone who hoped, by ruining the football team... To have the university forfeit the $3 million so his sanatorium could claim its share. But you say Stone died in an accident. We can't arrest him now. All we're interested in, Commissioner, is safeguarding the team for next Saturday's game. They've already had three doses of this potion. We don't know what it is. Professor Nelson says it defies analysis. But before Dr. Stone died, he said something about an antidote. That it could be found in Central America, but that we were too late. You see, Commissioner Reynolds... We have no way of determining the reaction of this potion, as Mr. Kent calls it. I still don't see what the police department can do for you, Professor. Well, Miss Hawkins was working for Dr. Stone, Commissioner. If anyone knows anything about the potion or its antidote, she does. Why do you keep repeating that? I told you... Just a minute. Uh, how long were you working for Stone? I wasn't working for Stone. I was working for Dr. Wilson. Aren't they one and the same person? Yes, they are. Well, Miss Hawkins, how long did you work for him? I, I can't remember. Possibly ten years. And for ten years you didn't know his real name? You expect me to believe that? I still don't think his name was Stone. What about that, Kent? Maybe the name Stone was fictitious. Well, what difference does it make? Stone and Wilson were the same man. This woman, if she worked for Stone or Wilson for ten years, should have known what he was doing. He never told me anything. Oh, that's all she keeps saying, Commissioner. Something must be done to make her talk. What do you expect me to say? Now, look, Miss Hawkins. If everything Kent says is true, we can hold you as an accessory to the fact. What? If the boys on the football team were drugged, you're just as responsible as Dr. Stone or Wilson or whatever his name was. Is that clear? All right. All right. But I was only following orders. I haven't done anything. No, I knew this was going to happen sooner or later. Please, let me mm. handle it. There, now. Get a grip on Don't yourself. Don't let him do this to me. 
Don't let them. She's hysterical, no. Commissioner. May I take her into the next room? Okay. Now come with me. Yes. Don't you let them talk oh. to me. They don't you let them talk to me. I haven't done anything. I haven't done I'm sorry we have to go to such ends, Commissioner. Oh, this is nothing, Professor Nelson. The only question is, how do we know she can help us? Maybe she hasn't any information. That doesn't seem likely. After all, if she's worked with him for ten years, she certainly must have known his plan. Tell me, Kent, just what is it you want to know? Well, when we pulled Dr. Stone out of the automobile wreck, he was in a semi-coma. He said something about there being an antidote, that it could only be found in Central America that we were too late. And you want to know where in Central America the antidote can be found? Exactly. What good will it do you? This is Wednesday. The game is on Saturday. It takes two days or more to get to Panama by a fast plane. I'm not worried about that. If I know where to find the antidote, I'll get it and bring it back. Mm, That makes nice conversation, Ken, but... Miss Hawkins has something to tell you. There now. That's it. Just take it easy. Sit in this chair. It's more comfortable. There we are. Well... What have you to say, Miss Hawkins? I'm sorry for creating a scene. I didn't mean to. That's quite all right. Miss Vane has explained things to me. I see them now in a different light. I'm going to try and help you. I'm glad to hear that. You want to know about the white powder, don't you? White powder? Yes, the white powder that Dr. Wilson brought back from Central America. You see, his name was Wilson. Andrew Wilson. Tell us about the white powder. Yes, I'm coming to that. It was given to him by the chief of a jungle tribe, he said. There were two small packages. One with white powder, the other with brown crystals. That was the antidote. Somehow it was misplaced and never found. All he had was the powder. Someday he hoped to return to get more of the antidote. He never did. Did he ever name the powder, Miss Hawkins? Did he ever call it anything? Never in my presence. All I knew was what he told me, that if the powder was dissolved in liquid, three doses would be enough to numb a man's brain within 72 hours. Three doses? That's just what each man on the squad's been given. And 72 hours will make it Saturday. Where did Stone or Wilson get this powder, Miss Hawkins? Where in Central America? He told me that... I've forgotten. Try to remember. It's important. She doesn't have to remember. Wilson kept a diary. It's all down in black and white. Where's the diary? In a drawer of a private desk. The sanatorium. Miss Hawkins and I are driving back to get it. Yes, I am certain. It has all the information you want. That's wonderful. I'll go with you. I'd hang around if I were you, Kent. Miss Hawkins and I don't need company. We'll be back shortly. Now, come along, Miss Hawkins. My car will still reach your apartment in a couple of minutes. Take so long, did it? No. You drive very well, Miss Lane. Thank you. Careful of these steps. Some of them are cracked. Why, why the door's wide open. Yes. Your friend, Mr. Kent, was in a hurry to leave. Even the lights are on. I'll uh, just close the door now. It's a little chilly. There. Now, 
I think we'll find the diary in this desk drawer. Seem to remember seeing it here. All right, Miss Lane. Don't move. Why are you pointing a gun at me? What do you take me for? A fool. Do you think I'm going to run the risk of letting a million dollars slip through my fingers? Andrew is dead. That money belongs to me. What are you talking about? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Andrew Wilson was my brother. My name isn't Hawkins. It's Wilson. Martha Wilson. We planned this together. Andrew and I. We planned it carefully. And there isn't going to be any slip now. Then there isn't any diary. Oh, yes. Diary, but I'm going to burn it. I'm going to burn it before your very eyes. I'm going to let the pages that tell where Andrew got the white powder and the antidote shrivel into ashes. That million dollars belongs to me, and I'm going to get it. Facing a woman whose eyes gleam like live coals. Lois Lane finds herself helpless. What will happen? Will the precious diary be consumed to ashes? And the whereabouts of the antidote lost forever? There's excitement ahead, so don't fail to tune in on the next episode. Follow the thrill-packed story with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. 
Superman who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, then steal in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. When Martha Hawkins, the woman who worked at the Cedarcrest Sanatorium, broke down and confessed, she told an amazing story. Dr. Stone, whose real name was Andrew Wilson, had drugged the men on the football team with a white powder he had brought from the jungles of Central America, a brain-numbing powder the effects of which could be overcome by just one special antidote known only to the chief of the native tribe from whom the powder had been secured. The location of the tribe was noted in a diary Andrew Wilson had kept, and Martha Hawkins offered to drive back to the sanatorium with Lois Lane and get the diary. Arriving there, she opened the desk drawer, but instead of producing the diary, aimed a revolver at Lois and warned her not to move if she valued her life. Dazed, Lois stared into the woman's burning eyes, realized she was half mad. Listen. I'm warning you, Miss Lane. Don't move, or I'll shoot the girl. Why are you doing this, Miss Hawkins? Don't call me Miss Hawkins anymore. I told you who I am. I'm Andrew Wilson's sister. We furnish together. It's not going to fail, even if Andrew is dead. Then, then there isn't any diary. You lied to him. Oh, there's a diary, all right. And it tells the location of the tribe, too. It gives the chief's name. But you'll never see it. Nobody will see it. I'm going to burn it before your very eyes. I'm going to let you watch the pages shrivel up and turn to ashes. But why? Why are you doing this? Because that money belongs to me. I'm no fool. I know that if the university doesn't claim three million dollars, the sanatorium will get part of it. One million of it. And I'm the sanatorium now that Andrew is dead. Is that reason enough? No, it isn't. I told you what the university was going to do with the money if they got it. I told you about all the thousands of children who would benefit. Doesn't that mean anything to you? You can't talk me out of it with all your pretty speeches. Don't try. I'm not making pretty speeches. There's nothing pretty about infantile paralysis. Nothing pretty about boys and girls who aren't able to walk and run and play. Stand back. Don't come any closer or I'll... I'm not coming any closer. Why don't you put that revolver back in the desk and listen to me? Ha, 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 ha. I'd be a smart one as I did, wouldn't I? Ha. But you don't know what you're doing to the lives of thousands of children. And what about my life? Isn't that important? Yes, of course it is. I'd like to help you. Ha, 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 ha. You must think I'm out of my mind. Wait. I'll show you whether I am or not. I'll show you Andrew's diary. And then I'll burn it. Here, look at it. All the information you and your fine friends want but won't ever get. It's going to crumble into ashes. Nothing but ashes. Martha, listen to me. Don't you, Martha, me. I know your kind. Newspaper report, always snooping around. Stand back, I tell you. And back as far as I can get against the wall. All right. Now, look at that fire. The big one. To make sure everything burns. First, some paper. Now, a little kindling wood. And the match to it. Look at it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. The 
bright orange flames leap high and cast a weird light on Martha Wilson's face as she prepares to consign the precious pages of her brother's diary to the fire. Meanwhile, back at the university, Clark Kent has a strange feeling that all is not right. To satisfy himself, he's put through a call to the sanatorium, and the phone rings as Martha Wilson opens the diary. Who's calling at this hour of the morning? I'm not going to answer. Let it ring. It may be important. Can't tell. All right. But don't you move. Hello. Hello, Miss Hawkins. <laughs> I thought so. It's your friend, Clark Kent. Hello. Hello. Yes, Mr. Kent. We're just about to leave. Clark, help! Wait, help! But it won't work even if he did hear you. He's 50 miles away. I could burn a million diaries in the time it would take him to get here, and there's only one. Well, just let me say one you thing. You said enough. Now, what's the pages turn to ashes? One minute. One. Two. Stop it. You're mad. You don't know what you're doing. Three. Four. Four. You. You can't say. Clark, the diary, take it from her. You can't have it. It's in the fire. I think you're right. Keep an eye on her. I'll call Reynolds and have him send an answer. I don't care. I'll get a million dollars. I'll call myself a million dollars. Yes, of course you will, Martha. Now, here, sit down and rest. Metropolis 4860, please. What happened here, Lois? She pulled a gun out of the drawer and her whole attitude changed. That crying back to the university was just an act. Do you know who she is? What do you mean? She's Stone. What? Or Wilson's sister. Hello, Professor Nelson. Uh, This is Clark Kent. Yes, will you tell Commissioner Reynolds to send a police ambulance to the Cedar Crest Sanatorium at once? I I can't explain now, but I will when I see you. Yes, that's right. Thanks. Goodbye. Did you say she's Wilson's sister? Yes, and she knew all about the Richard's will and the money coming to the sanatorium. My heart sank when she began throwing the pages of that diary into the fire one by one. How many are missing? Only the first four, and... By the way, how did you get here so fast? You called, and then less than a minute later, you opened the door. I'll explain that some other time. I want to look at this diary now. Auburn, nothing but ashes. Let's see here. Ah, here it is. June 12th, 1935. Finally convinced the chief of the Nawan tribe to give me a small supply of the powder and crystals. The Nawan tribe is located 12 miles from Pernambuco on a river known as the Ataba. From what I can learn, they are the only tribe of Central American Indians who have discovered this strange narcotic and its antidote. That's it, all right. Yes, but what can you do about it now? I don't know, but I'll do something. Look, do you mind waiting here with her until the ambulance arrives? Well, I don't particularly like the idea, but if I have to... Every minute counts, Lois. I must get back to town. Why can't you take us with you? Well, I... I I, I just can't. It's hard to explain. Yeah, it must be. Oh, please understand. Go ahead. Don't bother making excuses. You're a good sport. So long. Bye. Absolutely no way of telling her I didn't come by car. It is. I have plenty to explain. Oh, that can wait. Right now, I'm going to take the longest trip I've ever attempted. As Superman, to Pernambuco, Central America. There's one chance in a million of success. I've got to take it. Up! Up! And away! Like some giant bird, Superman wings high into the air. Hovers for a moment as his keen eyes take bearings. And then, almost with the speed of light, streaks southward over flat plains and rolling hills. 
over the deep blue waters of tropical seas, high above snow-capped mountain peaks, and down into deep valleys where the sun burns like a ball of fire. Finally, he comes to rest at the edge of a matted jungle. Off in the distance, the gray mud houses of a settlement mark an outpost of civilization. Assuming the disguise of Clark Kent, he walks toward the town, and an hour later is seated at the desk of John Carter, manager of a Pernambuco rubber plantation, telling him his mission. So you see, Mr. Carter, no effort must be spared to locate that Indian tribe and secure some of the crystals that will serve as an antidote. Uh, it's an amazing story, Mr. Kent. Almost unreal. Oh, it's real enough. I can vouch for that. Where did you say you landed your plane? Oh, about uh, five miles from here on a flat piece of land. A perfect spot. Well, I don't know whether it's quite safe there. The natives are extremely curious and destructive. Oh, I think it's all right. I wouldn't worry about it. The important thing is, how can I get to this Nawan tribe? Well, you'll never get there alone, Mr. Kent. If you did, you'd never come back. Why? The Nawans are still headhunters, despite every effort that's been made to civilize them. I know of only one man who can help you. The only white man in this part of the country who dare lead you to the Nawan tribe. Can I get hold of him? Time is important, you know. Well, I think we can find him. He's a, he's a strange character, Mr. Kent. Nobody knows what brought him down here, even. Nobody knows exactly what he does, either. A little trading with the natives, a little stealing, perhaps. A little of everything. Sometimes he can't be trusted, and sometimes he's the soul of honesty. I've heard that he's wanted for murder in England, robbery in the United States, and a dozen assorted crimes in a dozen assorted countries. Of course, none of it may be true. We'll just have to take your chances. Where can I find him? What's his name? He lives in a little shack down in the native quarter. His name is Tango Pete. Oh. Are you calling me, Mr. Carter? Pete? Are you listening at the window? I just happened to be sauntering by and heard what sounded like a mighty good imitation of my name. That's all. Oh? All right, take a chair. This is Mr. Kent, Pete. He's down from the state. Right. Hello. I'm wondering how you came down. Oh, so you knew he was here. Man's got eyes, Andy. I came down by private plane, Pete. Where is it? I landed it back a ways. Hmm, maybe. What do you mean, maybe? Mr. Kent isn't in the habit of being insulted, Pete. Oh, no insult, man. Just doubting his word. People doubt mine, I'm doubting his. You have a perfect right to, Pete. Let's talk business. I want to hire you to take me to the Nawan tribe. Now on tribe, eh? Yes, and there isn't much time to lose. Hmm, too bad. Well, what do you mean? Now on tribe right where they used to be. I don't quite understand. They moved on. Don't you know where they are? No. Well, I guess I'll be getting along. Oh, Pete, now, can't you help Mr. Kent? I might. If he comes down to my shack after dark tonight, alone... Well, it looks like there's something brewing. Why does Tango Pete want Clark Kent to come to his shack after dark alone? Thrills and excitement are waiting in the jungle, so listen in with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Behold my process. Ooh, yeah, do something right here. Uh-huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, with an exclusive loot on surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude! Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box! Woohoo! Yeehoo! To the Loot Crate video box, what's with kids today, huh? 
Rouses! With crits starting as low as $11.99 per month, those are facts just about for all collectors in. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look, up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, place a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. Making use of his amazing power of flight... Clark Kent and his true role of Superman has gone to the jungles of Central America in search of an antidote to the brain-numbing potion given to the members of the Metropolis football team. Equipped only with the knowledge that the antidote in the form of brown crystals is the secret of the Narwhan Indian tribe, Kent, on his arrival, tells the story to John Carter, manager of a large plantation. Carter says there is only one man who could lead Kent to the Narwhan Indians, a local character known as Pango Pete. But he warns Kent to be careful. Darkness has fallen. The matted jungle is alive with the hum of insects and the weird baying of nocturnal beasts as Kent approaches Pango Pete's broken-down shack near the native quarter. Who's there? Mr. Kent. Come on in. Good evening. Close the door and slip the bowl, eh? Have a seat. There ain't nothing but that rush bottom stool, but it'll hold you likely. Thank you. Uh, you know why I'm here, of course. Well, it ain't for your help, that's certain. <laughs> You're quite right, it isn't. You remember when you met me in Mr. Carter's office, you told me to come down to your shack after dark alone. You didn't have no trouble finding it, did you? Oh, not at all. What did His Royal Highness Mr. Carter tell you to do? Follow your nose? Why, I don't think this shack is so bad. It's probably very comfortable. Good enough for Pango Pete, it is. Plenty good enough. Well, what's on your mind, mister? I want you to take me to the Nawan tribe. Ooh, just like that, eh? Without no buy your leave or fuddle the dud. Take me to the Nawan tribe. Of course, I intend paying you for it. Oh, and that shows your arts in the right place, don't it? Now, look here, Pango, whatever your name is. Now, now, me bully boy, keep hold on your temper. Mind you're in the jungle now. We go slow here. I haven't time to go slow. You better find time. There's plenty of it around. There's only one thing I'd like to know. Are you or are you not interested in earning some money? Well, now, that depends on how hard I got to work for. Maybe his highness didn't tell you, but I'm retired. Yes, Mr. Carter mentioned something about it. Yes, I've been retired for years. Living off the fat of the land. And taking orders from nobody. Then you're not interested in making some money. Well, 
I might be influenced in the coming out of the time. All right, then let's get down to business. Now, all you'll have to do is take me to the Narwan tribe. I'll handle the rest. You've got a nice head, mister. Good shock of air. It is set fine on a pole. What are you talking about? Slip that bolt and open the door. Open it gentle now. The Mindy's aren't so good. Hear that? I hear some drums off in the distance. Now on Tom Tom. That's what they are. But you told Mr. Carter and myself that the now ones have moved on. Close the door. Open. You did say the now ones had moved on, didn't you? Bingo Pete's no fool, mister. He does his talking in private. Sure, I said they moved on. You know why? Why? Because the government's after them, that's why. I'd like to wipe them all out, they would. And I ain't leading them to no slaughter, I ain't. Not Tango Pete. Why does the government want to wipe them out? For a good reason, my bully boy. For the reason them tom-toms is going night and day. For the reason your head ain't safe if them now ones set so much as an eye on you. Oh, you mean they're headhunters? That's precisely what I mean. Well, I don't think that'll bother me. Oh, you don't, don't you? Well, that's where you're mistaken. It'll bother you till they slice off your head. And then it won't bother you no more. <laughs> well, I wouldn't worry about it if I were you. How much do you want to leave me to the tribe? What would you be wanting from them? That isn't your concern. All you have to do is lead me to them and present me to the chief. Oh, that ain't a great deal if you say it fast, is it? Present me to old Chief Sunday. Hey. Sooner said than done, mister. Take it from me. All right, then let's forget the entire matter. Hold on, bully boy. Bingo Pete never said it couldn't be done, did he? Well, did he? No, but... Well, there you are. Jump to the conclusion. Well, can you do it or can't you? Well, that all depends. On what? Well, in a way of speaking, and to put it bluntly, Simon, no graces and mincing no words. All right, all right, all right. Come to the point. How much do you want? What about uh, five on a dollar? You're hired. Huh? I said you're hired. When do we start? Well, not tomorrow. But but I gotta have a deposit. I gotta have a deposit to to bring me out of retirement. Hmm. All right, here's a hundred now. Hmm. The balance will be paid when you present me to the chief. Fair enough, me bully boy. Fair enough. What time in the morning do we start? Any time you say. Pango Pete's at your service now he is. All right, make it dawn. I don't want to waste any time. I'll meet you here. Good enough. Now, before we go, maybe it'd be best for me to know what you're after with them no ones. It wouldn't be magic powder, would it? What they call Tawana. What is this magic powder? Well, it makes a man groggy, it does, like strong drink. Them no ones, they, they mix it with coconut milk and swill it down. How do they get over the effects of this, uh, this Tawana? Well, they got something else to take. Uh, looks like brown sugar. Sets them up fine. That's what I want. Some of those brown crystals. What do they call it? You got me. Well, do you think you, we can get some? A lot depends on it. Well, there ain't nothing like trying, mister. Who's there? Mr. Carter. Hold up a minute. Open for him, will you? Sure. 
Well, I was just wondering whether you got down here all right, Mr. Chen. Oh, no trouble at all. Come in, Mr. Carter. There ain't nothing that's going to bite you. Chen, have you arranged to locate that Indian tribe? Yes, Tango Pete and I, starting at dawn. That we are, bright and early. Whenever you dreamed that you'd be picking up a little honest money, did you, Pete? Oh, no, Mr. Carter. That ain't fair. You're giving this gentleman here the wrong impression. <laughs> well, what are you going to do with your money? Well, I hadn't given it much thought, and that's the truth. I imagine $500 will last a long time down here. $500? Like I was saying, I don't Pete. think... Were you speaking to me, Mr. Carter? What do you mean by charging Mr. Kent $500 for taking him through the jungle? Oh, it ain't none of my doing, Mr. Carter. Oh, he's right. I offered 500 Kent, you're out of your mind. $10 would be a lot of money. He hasn't seen the color of a greenback for months. Oh, now, that ain't true, and you know it. I seen one two days ago, I did. Huh? Where? I seen it in your hand. Oh, now, look here, Kent. This man is a derelict. He lives from hand to mouth on what he can beg, borrow, and steal. Oh, now, that ain't true. That ain't true, Mr. You just say that you don't steal. Now, I don't say. I uh, really have no objection to paying him $500, Mr. Carter, if he can get what I want. It's worth it. Now, do you see, Mr. Carter? There's a gentleman for you. I takes me hat off to you, Mr. Bully Boy. You're born to the purple. I make no mistake about it. Don't be a fool, Kent. It's like throwing money away. Well, I feel this way about it, Mr. Carter. If $500 can get something that's worth $3 million, why worry? Uh, never mind what he said. All right, it's your business, Kent, and I suppose you know what you're doing. As for you, Pete, you should be thoroughly ashamed of yourself. Oh, there you go, blaming me again. What have I done? I'm sitting here peaceful, minding me own business, when a respectable gentleman knocks at me door, handles me domicile, and out of the goodness of his heart, offers me a fair price for me labor. You call that a fair price? Five hundred dollars? For what? Well, for getting me out of my retirement, you might say. Yes, you can laugh. Well, come on, Kent. I've made arrangements to put you up at the company house. Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, Mr. Carter. Yes? You ain't great that me, are you, Mr. Carter? Well, that wouldn't be right, you know. Since when are you the judge of right and wrong? Oh, you're finding me blacker for this gentleman here. It ain't like you're not a bit, it ain't. I don't think I could paint you any blacker than you painted yourself. Good night. I'll see you at dawn, Pete. Right, oh. You've run yourself into a bit of luck, Peter, you have. A bit of prime luck. That bully boy's got it just for the tightening. You're not going to stop with no $500, Peter. You can lie to that. You heard him say the stuff was worth him, didn't you? Three million. <laughs> I never knew there was that much money in the world, did you? Ah, but there is and waiting to be took. He's got to come across with a lot more. Before you take him to old Chief Sanger. Five hundred ain't a drop in the bucket. <laughs> Bless. <laughs> Listen to them now on Tom Tom's a beating. They sound good tonight, don't they, Pete? Maybe old Chief Sanger has got himself some new air. <laughs> Maybe he'll have one more tomorrow, eh, Pete? Like a warning of impending doom, the eerie tom-toms of the head-hunting narwhans echo through the dark jungle. What is Tango Pete planning as he listens to the somber beat of the jungle drum? Will he be able to prevent Clark Kent from getting the precious antidote? Don't fail to listen to the next episode for Thrills Galore. Tune in and follow the story with Superman. 
don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird, it's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights the never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. Seeking an antidote for the stupefying potion given the members of the Metropolis football team, Clark Kent has come to the plantation settlement of Pernambuco, deep in the Central American jungles. The antidote, a brown crystalline substance, is in the possession of the chief of a tribe of savage head-hunting Narwhan Indians. Kent, after talking with John Carter, manager of the plantation, made arrangements for a local white derelict known as Pango Pete to lead him to the Narwhan tribe. But Pete... Willing to turn a dishonest deal, has learned that the brown crystals are worth millions of dollars to Kent, and plans not to let him gain possession of them without exacting heavy tribute. Carter and Kent have just left Tango Peak Shack, and are seated on the screen porch of the manager's bungalow. The orange glow of Carter's cigarette, the only break in the impenetrable darkness. From off in the distance can be heard the rhythmic beat of Tom Tom. Listen. Those tom-toms continue all through the night, Mr. Carter? Yes, night and day. That's been going on for almost a week. Tango Pete said they were Narwhan drums. Some sort of ceremony. Oh, he was probably lying. He told us this afternoon that the Narwhan tribe had moved on. Those drums aren't more than ten miles away. You know, Kent, I can't get over your offering to pay him $500 to take you to the tribe. Well, it really isn't important. Well, that's where we disagree. There's something you don't quite understand, Kent. Something that goes beyond money. What do you mean? Simply this. Tango Pete is a human derelict. One of those men who's committed a crime against society. No longer has a place among civilized people. That's why he's down here in Pernambuco, because in these jungles, even the lowest of white men has standing. Aren't you being a little unfair? Seems quite harmless. He is to everyone but himself. His petty thieveries are unimportant. His willingness to permit himself to sink lower and lower is certainly none of our business. Yet in the short year that I've known him, I've somehow felt that there was good in the man if, if someone could only bring it out. And yet you blame me for trying to help him by giving him some money. Well, you haven't helped him. I may be wrong, but I'd be willing to wager that one dollar would buy Tangle Pete's honest assistance sooner than five hundred. You offered him a large sum of money for a job he knows isn't worth anywhere near that amount. As a result, he's suspicious. You so willingly pay five hundred, he reasons he should get a thousand or more. Yes, I see your point, but my greatest interest is getting my hands on that antidote at any cost. As I said once before, if five hundred dollars will safeguard three million, I'm all for spending it. All I can say is I hope you haven't made a mistake. 
hope he isn't misleading you. I'm quite certain those drums we've been hearing are not now on drum. They're too close. Those headhunters rarely come within 20 miles of a settlement. They know the government has set a price on them. I think Pango Pete's lying. Well, he better not be. I haven't much time, as you know. That antidote must be back in Metropolis before Saturday. What's that? Oh, sounds like a cheetah. The jungle is full of them. They're vicious little beasts. Are they dangerous? No, not man-killers, if that's what you mean. Oh, I suppose they'd claw a man if one of them was cornered, but I've never heard of a cheetah attacking. I can't say... That didn't sound like an animal. It isn't. It's one of my native boys. Come on, let's see what's happened. Here, I'll open the screen door. Right. Came from over there, at the edge of the jungle. Wait. I don't hear anything now, except the drums. Where are you going, Kent? Just to look around in the brush. Kent, come back. Don't be a fool. It's alive with chase. Don't worry. Whoever was screaming was in serious trouble. Good thing it's pitch dark in case I have to handle whatever this is. It's Superman. Yeah, I can't see a thing yet. Wait. Something's moving up ahead of me. Sounds like it might be... What was that? Something struck me and dropped to the ground. Great Scott, it's a stone-tipped dart. Oh, there's another. Looks serious. I'd better get back and warn Carter. Kent, is that you? Yes, I'm all right. Kent, you never should have gone in there. That's one of the primary rules in the traffic. Stay out of the jungle at night. I don't suppose you found anything. Yes, I did. These. Poison darts. Where did you get them? They were shot at me. But they missed. Kent, that means only one thing. There are headhunters in that patch of jungle. We're in trouble. No wonder those drums were so close. Come on, I've got to round up the men. You'd better go down to Pango Pete's shack and get him up. We may need him. Meet me at my cottage, but hurry. Okay. I'm running into headhunters is something I hadn't expected. I hope this doesn't kill my chances of getting that antidote. Now, this is Pete's shack, I think. Yeah. Pete! <laughs> Mr. Kent, open up! No, but open the door. There's trouble. Hold on. Now, what's all the excitement? Mr. Carter says there are headhunters in the jungle near the plantation. How would he know? Someone shot these at me. Look. Blimey. Poison stick. Don't point them at me. One scratch with them and you're a goner for sure. Dig them into the ground. That'll kill the poison. All right, I will. Mr. Carter's rounding up the men. He wants us to meet him at his cottage. Right. Wait till I get into some clothes. Okay. How'd you know them fighters was in the jungle? Well, we heard a man screaming, and when we got to the edge of the brush, these darts came winging out. Who was it screaming? We don't know. Mr. Carter thinks it was one of his native boys. You know what that means, don't you? They got the poor blight of them even did. Well, I'm ready. All right, let's go. Them tom-toms sound like they moved up close. Yes, they have. You sure they're Nawan drums? Couldn't be nothing else. Hell but a ring of them. Well, that means Nawan shot the dart. Yeah, looks like it. Yeah, Mr. Carter certainly rounded the men up fast. They're all behind his cottage. Oh, there he is on the porch. Yes. Come inside quickly. Pete with you? Yes, he is. Where is he? Right here, Mr. Carter. How can we stop this, Pete? Kent told you what happened. Yeah. They got one boy, Tonio. I suppose we can give him up for loss. Yeah, looks like it. Tom-toms are awfully close now. That's not all. Listen. 
war chant, that is. It means business and black devils. We've got to stop them. Can you handle a rifle, Kent? Yes, but I... Here, take this one and shoot to kill. No telling how many of them are hidden in that jungle. What do you say, Pete? Well, I don't know rightly. Them now on the big tribe. Mighty big. Probably a hundred of them, all with blowguns and poison darts. Listen to them chant. Blood curtain. I could get the old chief Sanger. Might get him to call them off for a handful of trinkets. Oh, that's impossible now. It's certain death to anyone who goes near that jungle. There's one of them. See the heathen sneaking along the edge? Yes, I see him. Almost like a black pygmy. Yeah, they're little fellas. What mean? Keep an eye on him. Watch what he does. I'm going to keep more than an eye on him. Hold that screen door open, Ken. Okay. You got the black devil. Oh, listen to them now. They're going crazy. Yeah, that shot did it. Faith, my native boys are going to get panicky. They're all hurt in the back, right in the chest. Take a look at them, Pete. Calm them down. Yeah, I'll do what I can. See anything, Kent? No, not a thing. They must be close. That chanting and the, the drums. Entirely too close for comfort, Kent. Realize what can happen? These savage tribes have wiped out entire settlements. They're amazing marksmen with their deadly little blowguns and poison darts. Look! Something's moving at the edge of the clearing. Over to the left. Yes, I see. Open the screen door. Okay. Look out! Oh. Saved my life that time, Kent. That dart would have struck me in the shoulder if you hadn't pushed me. How in heaven's name did you ever see it coming? I don't know. Maybe we'd better not open that door again. Probably not. What's happened to Pango Pete? He shouldn't be taking this long. Here I am, Mr. Corbett. You said to calm the men down, didn't you? How are they? Herded together like a bunch of sheep, that's how. If them now ones get close enough to spot them, they'll be slaughtering. You can lie to that. We can't let them get close enough. Uh, sooner said than done. Like's not the clearance alive with them, only we can't see them. Like's not they're crawling up on their bellies, fixing the rushes. Only they'd stop that infernal drumming and that chant. Driving me mad. Let me see whether I can make power with him. You mean go out there? Blimey, no, I ain't that crazy. Step aside from the door. I'll give it a try. Now keep a sharp watch. We will. Well, here goes. I owe fire! I owe fire! Can't stop. Hold the drum. I owe fire! I owe fire! What did he say? I asked him who they was. And he says the now on the stick. Find out what they want. Now on! Salofa Maga Ali! Yes? You ain't gonna like this, Mr. Carter. None at all. What is it? What do they want? He said Kayabana. That means five heads. Five heads? That's it. If you ask me, I'd say we were getting off mighty cheap. Nobody's asking you. This isn't the Middle Ages. I wouldn't make a human sacrifice if my life depends on it. Tell the bloodthirsty beggars no. As you wish. Naga! Naga! What does that mean? It means we'd all better start saying our prayers now. Because here they come, and there ain't nothing going to stop them. As the weird tom-toms beat with new frenzy, and as the savage voices of the Narwhan headhunters rise in the night, Clark Kent, as Superman, prepares to do battle with the strangest enemy he has yet faced. How will he fare against a hundred black pygmies who are shadows in the darkness? Can he keep them off and at the same time get possession of the precious antidote? Listen in to the next episode for a smashing climax to this jungle drama. Follow the thrilling story with Superman. Don't forget, 
Tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater presented by Phoenix Media. Up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Superman. Presenting the transcription feature, Superman! Look, up in the sky! It's a bird, it's a plane! It's Superman! Yes, it's Superman! Strange visitor from the planet Krypton, who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings at a single bound, trace a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. And now to our story. Clark Kent, in an effort to secure an antidote to the brain-numbing potion given the members of the Metropolis University football team, has gone to the jungles of Central America, where a tribe of savage, head-hunting Indians known as the Narwhans are said to possess the antidote. On the advice of John Carter, manager of a rubber plantation, Kent hired a local white derelict known as Tango Pete to lead him to the Narwhan tribe. But that night... The head-hunting Indians attacked the plantation, captured one native worker, and with tom-toms beating and weird savage cries echoing through the jungle, closed in on the cottage where Kent, John Carter, and Tango Pete waited, armed with rifles. Behind the cottage, a hundred plantation workers are huddled in deadly fear of the approaching savages. On the screened porch, Kent, Carter, and Tango Pete peer into the darkness as the jungle drums beat out an eerie warning of doom. Listen. Keep a sharp lookout, Kent. There's no telling how many of the black beggars there are. Okay. Pete. Right here, Mr. Carter. I thought you were friendly with the now one. Pete, don't you know that chief? Oh, I knows him right enough. Chief Sanger's his name. But he ain't out there. How do you know he isn't? He don't move much, Chief Sanger don't. He's a bit on the old side, he is. All dried up like a prune. No, he ain't out there. Isn't there anything that you can do to stop them? Well, you heard me try. They want five heads, they says. Five heads to stick up on that blooming pole. Now, if I was you... Try talking to them again. Tell them we'll give them... Tell them we'll give them food and, and jewelry. I ain't gonna do no good. Well, try it. Why do? Fire, fire! Fire, fire! Well, I'd shut them up at least temporarily. Go ahead, Pete. Food and jewelry. You've got to wait till he answers. What does that mean? It means, is we ready? Ready for what? Just give him five eggs, I types it. Offer them food and jewelry. Hurry, Pete. No one! Thunder! I don't strike! Blimey, I don't know how to sign jewelry in their blooming language. Listen. What does that mean, Pete? Five eggs or nothing. All right. Tell them it's nothing. No. Wait. I've got a better idea. We'll give them five men. You can't do that, Carter. It's murder. Don't worry. I'm not giving them five men. We'll try working a roof. Are you game to go out there with me? What's that, Pete? They want to know what's holding up the works, as you might say. All right. Tell them we'll give them five men. Right, oh. I don't want that too much. What's your plan, Carter? Now, listen carefully. 
You, Pete, and I will go out to meet them with two of the native boys. Hold yes. on a minute, Mr. Carter. I'm go, Pete. I'm getting social with them now on Ed Hunters. Not on your life. And why not? My understanding that you are on friendly terms with the Nawan tribe. Matter of fact, it's been rumored that you haven't been above supplying them with native victims. That's a lie. The right of soul can prove it. I never turn no one over to them bloody even. How is it you can speak their language? I've always wondered about that. Oh, I picked it up doing a little trading with them. That's the truth. Help me. What sort of trading could you do with savage Indians except trading in human beings? Well, you've got no right to sign that, Mr. Carter, you ain't. Oh, I wonder. At any rate, you're going out there with us, whether you like it or not. You're the only one who can speak their gibberish. Now, what about you, Kent? I know I've got no business asking you to risk your life. I'll go but... along. As a matter of fact, I'd much rather tackle them alone. Don't be a fool, man. They've got blowguns and poison darts. And all five of us will meet them, armed with the two rifles or the revolver I have in my office. Can you handle a rifle, Mr. Kent? I think so. You'll take the revolver, Pete. You can't give me no orders, Mr. Carter. I ain't going out there, I ain't. You'll do as I say. I'm running this rubber plantation... And I've put up with enough from you for a long time. I've closed my eyes to your petty thieveries and your lying and your dishonesty. It ain't true. It ain't true. Shut up. I'm giving the orders now, and I don't want any more talk. There it goes again. Probably got tired waiting. Tell them we're coming, Pete. I don't have to if I don't see them. Tell them we're coming, or I'll put a bullet through your head. All right, I don't have to use them tactics, Mr. Carter. Did I like you? Never mind what's like me. Now, hurry up. I'm sorry. Hurry up. Let up. What did they answer? I didn't catch. You're lying in your teeth. It doesn't matter now. I'll go back and get the two boys in the revolver. Keep an eye on him, Kent. I don't trust him. Right. I'll be right back. Now, what do you suppose got into Mr. Carter? It ain't a bit like him. It ain't ducking up this way. If you takes my advice, boy, you'll wash your hands of this business. He's making a big mistake. He is a big mistake. Him no one ain't no bloomin' beggars to mess with, I ain't. And yet you were willing to take me to their chief for five hundred dollars, a hundred of which I've already given you. Taking yet old chief Sanga in the daytime ain't meeting up with a bloomin' hundred of them at night. And there's something else you got to remember. We ain't gonna be able to get that medicine you come down for if we antagonize the no ones, we ain't. I'm sure Mr. Carter realizes that and has taken it into consideration. I wouldn't be too sure if I was you. He's looking to keep his head on his neck, he is, and that's the truth of it. He don't care a bit whether you get your medicine or not. You can take it from me. Why don't you stick with me, bully boy? Why don't you tell him he ain't got no stomach for mixing with them now on? If we pull solid on both oars, he'll do the trick it will. He'll back water. And then what? You say there are a hundred of them out there, armed with blowguns and poison darts. They won't bother you and me. You got my word for it. We ain't exactly enemies, if you get what I mean. Yes, I think I do get what you mean. Well, how about it? This is my answer. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Leave me loose I now. think we'll put you to sleep for a while. Good night, Pete. That's much better. Now to deposit you in some safe, secluded place for the time being... Let's see now. Now, the back of that truck parked out front looks like it might do. Up with you, my bully boy. Open the screen door gently. There we are. Yes, that truck will do nicely. In you go. Now, I think it's high time Superman took over. 
I can probably handle those headhunters without any bloodshed, and as Pango Pete said, it doesn't pay to antagonize them. Uh-oh. I'd better duck behind the truck and get these city clothes off before Carter spots me. I think the Nawans would enjoy seeing me in full costume. There. That does it. Now let's see what savage headhunters look like from the air. Up! Up! And away! There they are. Hiding in the brush at the edge of the jungle. There's a lot more than a hundred. Some of them seem to be carrying spears. I'll drop a little lower. Down! Down! Yes, a few of them have spears. Probably with poison tips. Uh, they're certainly bloodthirsty-looking creatures. All painted up with bones stuck through their nostrils. I no wonder Pete didn't want to meet them in the dark. I said he didn't. Enough to frighten anybody. What would happen, I wonder, if I just dropped down in the middle of them? No, I don't think that's so smart. Yeah, that looks like a clearing over to the left. I'll drop down and watch them from there. Down! This is as good a vantage point as any. Now, we'll see what happens. Uh-oh. They're getting impatient again. That means trouble. Yes. They're moving out of the brush toward the cottage. I think I'd better... What happened? Great Scott. Carter's coming out of the cottage with four native boys. He's going to face them. He can't do that. It's suicide. Oh, and look. They're shooting poison darts at him. Firing. Carter! Go back, you fool! Go back! Carter! Now I'll have to take a hand. Up! There we are. All right, you beggars. Fire your poison dark on me. Come on. You with that spear. Come on, pitch it over the place. Yeah, didn't think I could catch it, did you? Watch out. Here it comes back at you. Oh, decided to gang up on me, have you? Okay, see how you like this. All right, stick around, you beggars. Don't tell me you've had enough. What are you running for? So you can't take it, huh? I didn't think so. Well, now to get back to Carter. That's Clark Kent. That's funny. He's gone. Last time I saw him, he was halfway between the cottage and the jungle. Maybe he's in the cottage with the light on. Mr. Carter, I... Great Scotty. He's stretched out on his bed, white as a sheet. Boy. Boy, what happened to him? Poison dart. What? Where did it hit him? In arm. This one. Let's get a look at it. Come on, rip this sleep off, will you? Mm. Yes, I see it. Just a pinprick, but it's red and swollen. Uh. Mr. Carter. Mr. Carter, what can I do for you? Just tell me. Nothing to do. All over soon. But there must be something. Some some antidote, some medicine. Indian medicine. But facing slow but certain death as the venomous poison seeps into his bloodstream, John Carter can only gasp that the Darwan Indians have the only antidote. And so, once again, Kent is faced with the problem of getting an antidote for a native drug. But this time, minutes count. What can Kent, even as Superman, accomplish? 
Don't miss the next episode. Listen in with Superman. Don't forget, tune in again for the next thrilling episode with Superman. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Excelsior!